Mother's Day and Father's Day are usually guest speaker Sundays, but I just felt this year that I'm supposed to speak to you myself, just share from my heart with you. I did with you ladies the other day on Mother's Day, and I'm going to invite you ladies to listen in today. There'll be something probably for all of you, but I just want to talk to the guys, whether you're a dad or not. just want to talk to you guys today. Um, and uh, I, I, first of all, I couldn't resist doing this. Um, with AI exploding, artificial intelligence. Um, you know, I've never yet actually sat down and accessed chat GPT. And I promise you, you will never hear a chat GPT sermon. <laughs> but as of a few days ago, well, thank you, yeah. Um, but, I, but as of, but hello, although, <laughs> as of a few days ago, um, I, of course, knew what I was going to speak on today, but I was just curious, and it got the best of me. <laughs> so I went on ChatGPT for the very first time, and I typed in, write a Father's Day sermon for an evangelical church. That's all I said. And within seven or eight seconds, out came this. Unbelievable. And like it started, like, good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> On this Father's Day, we extend our gratitude and our love and our appreciation to all the fathers among us, as well as all those who have gone before us. Can I hear an amen in the house? It's <laughs> doing pretty good. Uh, just a few other lines. As fathers, we have the opportunity to shape the lives of our children. By the way, Joel and Brandon, that was fantastic, that video. Thanks for all you're doing. I like your T-shirt, too, uh, Brandon. That was a good one. Um, but we do shape their, their lives. We impart godly wisdom, and we instill moral values, and we teach the ways of the Lord. And, and then it was pretty honest. Say, we live in a world that often undermines the importance of fathers and seeks to diminish their role. I didn't know if AI would admit that or not. The enemy seeks to distort and weaken the family unit, it wrote. But it goes on today, let us also lift up in prayer those fathers who are carrying heavy burdens, facing trials, or feeling inadequate in their roles. And we want to come alongside. This is not an uncomplicated day emotionally for some of our men. And it ends this way, may we be men who model Christ-like love, compassion, and strength, leaving a lasting legacy of faith for the generations to come. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Okay, I say with a little less confidence, you'll never hear a chat GPT sermon. <laughs> that about outdid me. So I let my wife Sandy here read it, and the, the two responses that I remember from her were, that's scary, <laughs> and don't you ever write a love letter to me using that. <laughs> yes, ma'am. But I, will, uh, I do want to talk to you today about the hats. 
Now, ChatGPT didn't mention any hats in there. But I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 5, the last part of Ephesians 5, and then into the first half of Ephesians 6. And I want to talk about the four hats that men wear. The four hats that men wear. Now, some of these hats, especially the last two, many of you ladies wear them as well, but certainly pretty much every man in this room wears at least one of these four hats and probably two at least of these four hats. I I have numbers of hats uh, with me, uh, not here, but at home. And guys, we like wearing hats, right? We like wearing the caps and stuff. Well, I was at... um, I was at the uh, Kennedy Space Center a number of years ago, uh, just a few years ago with Sandy, and we were walking through the gift stores. We left, and Sandy saw this hat and bought it for me because she knows even though I have an extroverted job, I'm really an introvert. And so she found this hat. It's got the NASA insignia on it and the words, I need my space. <laughs> yes, it's the perfect hat. I need my space. And that's usually the truth. I need my space. Uh, a hat I didn't bring is sort of a golf hat. And the problem is I'm not a golfer. When it comes to being a guy, I'm a little bit boring. I don't hunt, fish, or golf. And uh, I like planes and trains. That's my gig. And so when I was in college, I uh, worked for the railway, and I studied aerospace engineering. So planes and trains. And Sandy and I were just on a trip in Europe, and we spent hours on planes and hours on trains. And uh, thank you for indulging me, honey. So I'm more into that kind. I'm not really a hunter, fisher, golfer guy. But my grandfather lived about 100, one of my grandfathers. He lived to almost 100. And uh, he said, part of the secret of my old age is I never golfed. <laughs> because, and I know this is going to offend some of you, but he said... I suppose when you're 96, you can say this. He said, I noticed that all my friends who took up golf are dead now. (laughs) There it is. So I do not wear a golf hat, but I like the I need my space hat. Well, Paul's going to talk about four hats that we wear as guys. And this one doesn't apply to all of you, but um, it's the first hat is the husband hat, the husband hat. And so in chapter 5 of Ephesians, in verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, if I was to give you who are married... Uh, one piece of advice, if you, if you take all, all the marriage counseling I've ever, and premarital counseling I've ever done over the years and all of the watching thousands and thousands of marriages as a pastor over the years, if you would reduce it down to one piece of advice, I'd say to you guys, love your wife like Jesus loved the church. Now, we guys, you know, we, we have this thing like we kind of laugh at it like, we think the four most important words for a good marriage are, I'm sorry, and you're right. <laughs> and you know, I, I have to admit, I've gotten a lot of mileage out of those four <laughs> words over the years. It just helps sometimes. But it's not always, you know, I'm wrong and you're right to make a relationship work. 
But there's something so much more active than that. It says, I want to I love my wife like Jesus loved the church. And you say, well, how did Jesus love the church? Well, Paul tells us with those next very difficult few words. Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And those, those three words, give yourself up, they go tough for us guys. Certainly it means we don't abuse, we don't talk down, we don't demean, we're not kings of our little castles barking out orders to our wives, uh, you know, because I'm the guy. He said, you love the way Jesus loved you. He loved you by giving himself up. This is why we sang with such joy this morning. This is why we sang, there's power and authority in the name of Jesus, and he forgives us. This is why we sang, our heavenly father is a good father to us. Because he loved us by giving himself up. And one of the things when a lot of tension comes into our marriages, we tend to fixate on how guys, our wives, aren't meeting our expectations. That they don't meet my needs. She doesn't meet my needs. She doesn't meet my expectations. She, she's not this and not that. And pretty soon you find yourself thinking more about what she's not than what she is. And she falls short of expectations. And I thank God I'd be in a heap of trouble and you'd be in a heap of trouble if God loved you that way. I mean, the Bible settled that long ago. It just flat out says, every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has fallen short of his holy expectations. We have all sinned. I mean, if anybody has the right to sit around all the time and focus on how false, fallen short we are, it's our Heavenly Father, our Creator. I mean, he has a lot of material in my life and in your life to focus on when it comes to falling short, not meeting his holy expectations. And so how did he love us? By being done with us, by washing his hands of us, by wiping us out? No. He loved us by giving himself up. Like Dr. Darrell Johnson said, the, most, the greatest power in the universe is the weakness of sacrificial love. He became weak. He died on a cross. And he took all of those places where we fail him and don't meet his expectations, all of those places where we hurt his heart rather than fill his heart with our praise and our obedience, all of those things he took on himself, our sin he took on himself at the cross, and he, and he bore it, and he paid the penalty for it, and then he blew out of that tomb three days later in resurrection power to validate everything that he transacted for us in weakness on the cross. And he said, now if you would just come to me as you are and be honest and repent of all of those places that you've fallen short, I will, through no deserving of your own, announce you forgiven and announce you my child and announce you part of my family. This is the greatest story that's ever been told. This is the message of Jesus Christ. Dads, if you want to be a great husband who loves your wife as Christ loved the church, First of all, let Jesus love you <laughs> like he did by giving himself up. And then somehow he helps us as men to give ourselves up, to not always need to have our way, to say, the woman in my life, I want her to flourish. I want her 
to become all God's called her to be. I want her to be demeaned and beaten down. I want her to flourish. I want her, the gifts of the Spirit to flow through her life. I want her to fulfill her God-given calling. And uh, that, that will mean sometimes I don't always get my way and I don't always do what I want to do. I am there as her servant to lift her up because that's how Jesus came. Jesus said, I have not come to, to be served, but to serve, to give my life for others, to lift them up. And then Paul says, so husbands, go ahead. That's your, that's your cue. You love your wives like Jesus loves the church. How? By giving himself up for her. Wow. Then Paul takes off the husband hat, although he wasn't a husband, but it's good advice. Again, it's the best advice I could give to any husband. Just love your wife like Jesus loves the church, giving himself up for her. And then, and then, Paul talks about those of us who wear not only the husband hat, but the father hat, the father hat. This is a good hat to wear. And this is what we're celebrating today. It may take a few extra moments on this one. The father hat. And it's, uh, after he talks, finishes talking about marriage at the end of chapter 5, he goes right into chapter 6, starts talking about, uh, about children and fathers. And in verse 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead... Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So don't exasperate your children. We can do one of two things as a dad. We can exasperate our kids or we can equip our kids. And boy, I, I was listening to that video of Brandon Joel earlier. I thought, eh, we could just close church right here. That was a powerful sermon they preached right there. We're, you know, in the influence you dads have, the way your, your kids watch you, the way you model, the way you influence, even more than by what you say, but the example of the way you live. I, my, my dad was a businessman, but he loved Jesus passionately. I'll never forget standing in a service like this. I was right behind him. I was, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years old. And he's standing there. I'll never forget the moment I looked up during worship, and my dad had his hands in the air, and Tears were streaming down his cheeks out of love for Jesus. I'll tell you how that imprinted me. A strong man of God, a businessman, a guy with a lot going for him, but tears running down his face because he loved Jesus. And I got to stand right beside him and watch him worship. This is important for our kids. I hope they accidentally run into you praying in your home sometimes. This is... This is so important and just what you model. Here's a fun thing. I, I told you we have so far one grandson and now one's on the way but, or, one, or granddaughter. We're not sure the second one but, but we have one grandson. He lives in Dallas to our oldest daughter and his dad, Danny, is an amazing dad. He's an amazing dad. And already at two years old, he's picking up from his dad. So a few days ago, Meredith sent us this video. I want to show it to you. It's Paxton, our grandson, on the porch with his toy. It's his toy lawnmower while his dad is mowing the lawn in the background. You see that? And of course, uh, there he is, uh-huh. Then he gets a little trapped there, but he looks at dad. He's got his eye on dad there. 
Now watch what he did. I wonder where he learned this. See, and his dad's in the background. Just like that. Oh, my. That's exactly what you do when you mow a lawn. Just up to the edge and back. And then he does it one more time. And notice the style, the hand behind. I mean, and then points to dad. See, that's what dad does. I do it just like my dad. You see, he's so proud being like his dad. That, that's the influence you have on your kids. They watch you all the time. You lead by example. You don't lead by kicking them around and yelling at them all the time. You lead by who you are. Someone said if it ever strikes you that you would not want your kids to be like you, then you ought to do something about you. And dads, that's the most challenging thing in the world. I thought about that. We, we only had two daughters. We didn't have a son, but two daughters. I thought, I thought, would I want them to be like me? I know I want them to be like my wife, but I'm not, I wasn't someday sure if I want them to be like me. That was an incredible challenge to do this. I'll say to you often, whether you're a man or a woman, that we tend to become like the people we spend the most time with. And when I was pastoring in Southern California years ago, I was all of 40 years old. I did have two little daughters at that point. They were both still preschoolers. And two men in the church took me out to breakfast one day. They were a generation apart. Harold was a pharmacist. He was the older guy. And he had five kids, most of them out of the home. And they were all boys. And uh, he, he was amazing he was an amazing guy. The younger guy was a banker. And he had five kids, but he was a generation younger. They were all girls except he just had a little boy. No, they were, they were all girls except he just had a little boy, a little baby boy. And they took me out. They were part of the church, a pastor church, much like this. And, and they said, Pastor, we like you as a pastor. You're a good pastor. You know, fine. We, you know, we don't have anything particular to say there. We, we, we're glad you are a pastor. But... Um, we're interested in something even more. We don't only want you to be a great pastor. We want you to be a great husband and a great dad. And they said, would you be willing to start having breakfast with us so we could talk about being great husbands and great dads? Whew, that was powerful. And we started doing this. Harold, the older guy with the five sons, every time one of his sons hit junior high, he asked his sons to find a group of his friends that he could invite, totally his own choice, his son's choice. Bring a group of your friends, and we'll start a small group. And he discipled every one of his boys uh, in, in a small group once they hit middle school with the friends of their choice. And all of them, uh, when I knew Harold, all of them were young men, just strong for the Lord, because he equipped them. Paul said, don't exasperate your kids. We do this by being too absent. Sometimes we do this by not giving kids boundaries. You know, kids feel unloved when you don't give them some boundaries. I mean, the parenting ethic these days is drifting towards, I would never want to tell my kids what to do. So it's just, everything's totally their choice. Well, kids feel very 
very like out there without a reference point and you can actually kids become very very I mean psychologists have done a lot of work on this kids become very angry when they have no boundaries you can exasperate your kids by just refusing to confront things confusing to enter their lives at least have some boundaries and on the other end you can also exasperate your kids by being overly rigid and I know with our girls, if we could trust them, we try, try not to build rules around the areas we could trust them. If we could trust them, let's not, let's not hit them over the head with rules every day. Let's, let's just trust them <laughs> if they've got the right things happening in their life. But where the boundaries are needed, do that. But let's not be overly rigid. Let's not be overly loose. Let's not, and this was a challenge for me as a dad working a lot, let's not be overly absent. Let's just... Let's just be there for our kids. Let's not exasperate our kids, but let's equip them. And these two men helped me to grow. You know, I was their pastor. Big deal. I wanted to be a great husband. I wanted to be a great dad. And I want to tell you, you do become like the people you spend most time with. And uh, you want to spend time with people who are hungry for God because that's the way you want to be. And you want to, dads, you want to spend time around people who are great dads, especially if you still have kids at home. Or maybe you're retired and you want to be a great, a great uh, grandfather or a great, great grandfather. I mean, hang around guys. Talk about it with guys. I mean, let, let, let's go for being the best we can be there. So he puts the husband hat on. And then he puts the worker hat on, the worker. Now, this would apply to a lot of you ladies, too. He puts the worker hat on. Because right after talking about being a dad... He goes to work. He takes the men and women he's writing to in the Ephesian church to the workplace. He's not talking about when you're at church volunteering. He's not even talking about when you're home with your family. He's talking about being at work all week. And he says in verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And in that culture, there would have been slaves, there would have been masters, there would have been free people and not free people, unfortunately. But Paul, unable to change that institution, tries to Christianize it. And he says, when you are working for somebody else, um... Don't just go to work. Tell yourself every time you get in the car, I'm being sent to work. Because I'm God's person wherever I go. And as I like to say to people in your hearts, don't do this to their face, you'll be in massive trouble, but in your hearts, fire your boss. And decide you're working for Jesus instead. That is exactly what Paul says. He says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people. So whether my boss is watching me or not, I'm going to do the best I can because I'm really doing it for Jesus. I've kind of fired my boss in my heart. I mean, some of our bosses are pretty dysfunctional. Can I hear an amen in the house? But you know what? Big deal. And that can be painful. It may, need you, may mean you need to make some changes. But, but until that moment comes, you get to worship Jesus at work. Like Brother Lawrence who would cook for the monks in the monastery. He wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. Here's how he did it, in part. He said, I cook omelets for the brothers in the morning. 
And then after they go off, perhaps having complained about the omelets, didn't matter. He's not doing this for them. He said, I'd clean up the kitchen, then I'd lie on the floor, and I'd adore God for the sheer privilege of making omelets for him. This transforms everything in our lives. The problem we, we guys have is that we get too much of our identity involved with our work. If I could give you a short list of why we hit midlife crisis, I mean, the top two things were, number one, too much of your identity is wrapped out in what you do at your job. And number two, you haven't built good friendships. Those are the top of the short list of why men hit midlife crisis in their 40s. Those are the top two things right there. Too much of your identity wrapped up in what you do. And you haven't built good friendships. It takes a hard, it's hard for guys to make friends. I want to tell you this. It's not easy. It's not easy for me. It's not easy for anybody. We don't like the chatty stuff. We don't like the emotional stuff for sure. I mean, you know, we just, it's just hard to build friends. And we're all busy. And kind of friendship is someone I can do something with. And, and sometimes that's harder to do. And that's why we like hunting, fishing, golfing, right? I'm looking for some guys who like planes and trains, personally. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, we need, we need that. It's, and, and, and this is, so we cling to our jobs, and it becomes our identity. And Paul is giving us incredible advice here. He says, when you go to work, this is not about you. This is not about your identity being built around being successful in your boss's eyes. This is about you serving Jesus. Just do it for him. And he said, he'll reward you in heaven. He's not saying, I'll reward you for volunteering in church. He'll say, I'll reward you for how wholeheartedly you go at your job. But the fact we're doing it for Jesus puts boundaries around us so not too much of our identity is wrapped up in him. Listen, you are not what you do. You are a child of the living God if you know Jesus. You are defined by a heavenly father. Who has brought you. And all of us guys have our father issues, to be honest with you. I had a great dad who's a godly man, but, you know, as I grew older, I found out he didn't know everything. I thought he did know everything when I was a kid. I thought, uh, he didn't know everything. And, you know, what they say when you're six years old, you have all the questions. When you're 16, you have all the answers. And, and when you're 26, you start realizing maybe my parents did know something. After I mean, they're not cool, but maybe they did know something after all. And, 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 and you know, so we, we all go through this progression of working through that. My parents aren't cool. I don't think my dad knows that much. I mean, I wouldn't do that. I think I got all the answers. I don't know what's wrong with everybody over 25 years old and all of this stuff. We get into all this, and, and we're trying to find reference points for our identity. And, 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 and I want to tell you, Jesus needs to be the reference point for your identity because he is the one sent by a father who redefines fatherhood. Whether you had a great father or an abusive father, your heavenly father redefines everything. And that's why it's so important that he loved you by giving himself up, by giving you his son, Jesus. And Jesus said, you see me, you've seen the Father. And so go to work serving me. Don't serve anybody else. And let your identity start being shaped around who your heavenly Father is. This is potent, powerful stuff. But I got to get to the last one. It's the warrior hat. He's talked about the husband hat and the father hat, and the worker hat, but then he goes to the warrior hat. This is where we're going to land today. Today, Because I want to 
in a few minutes invite all of you guys that want to be prayed for to come fill this altar area. And uh, I'd like to pray over all the men in our church especially and have you ladies agree with me in prayer for them. Verse 10, right after talking about being at work. The very next verse, verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Therefore, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord. Guys, and he's talking to women too. He's talking to the whole church here. But you know, it's easy for us guys to feel inferior and insecure spiritually compared to the ladies in the church. I just want to be honest with you. First of all, some of us guys find church a little too feminine some days. I mean, some of the worship psalms, we didn't do this this morning, but some of the worship songs are a little sappy. You don't know if you're singing to Jesus or your girlfriend. And that pastor, you mean nice. You know, sometimes, to be honest, as a guy, I find church a little feminine. The problem is, and here's where I get caught, I look at my wife, and she's, she just has this deep relationship with the Lord, and, and, and she's more intuitive than I am, and I feel like she prays better than I do a lot of times. You know, it's very easy, like, like I don't feel as tied in. I, I need things a little more concrete as a guy. And so it's easy to feel spiritually inferior to my wife. I know a lot of guys, they love Jesus, but, but they rarely have the confidence ever to pray out loud in front of somebody else. And I love it when, when wives say to me, you know, my husband's really growing spiritually. I'm married to the best guy in the world. And uh, I used to be concerned that it was always me, though, who always gave the spiritual leadership in the family. It was always me that suggested maybe we should pray about this. But you know, my husband's really growing. Now he's the one who's sometimes saying, we ought to pray about this. And then he just opens his mouth and he starts praying right in front of us. He's never done that before. Because it takes an unbelievable amount of confidence for a guy to do that. You ladies don't get this at all. But it takes a lot of confidence for most guys to do that to pray out loud in front of because it means you have to be confident spiritually. And ah, I lost track of the number of guys who said to me, I don't like praying with my wife because I start praying and I start thinking, oh, she knows me far too well. <laughs> Can't imagine what's going through her head and the hypocrite I must look like. But I want to tell you, your identity is not even found in your wife or somebody who intimidates you spiritually. You are a child of the living God. The authority of Jesus' name is yours. And here's where Paul lands after talking about you going to work. He said, be strong in the Lord. He said, don't, don't be insecure in the Lord. You have every reason to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Phew. Sounds good. Listen, you belong to Jesus. You're a child of your heavenly Father who's loved you by giving himself up for you and you can be strong in the Lord. And here's where the warrior part comes in, as politically incorrect as this sounds these days. So put on the full armor of God. Very next verse. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That means your wife is not, that means your wife is not your enemy. That means your dysfunctional boss is not your enemy. That means your crazy uncle who's ruining the whole family is not your enemy. I mean, nobody with a face is your enemy. But there is, in the unseen world, darkness that's working. And look at how he describes this darkness. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I want to tell you, you're no match to that unless you're strong in the Lord. I mean, unless you are walking in a greater authority than the authorities of darkness. Unless you're, you're just saying, I know who I am in Jesus. In him I'm strong. I feel like a wimp half the time, but I'm him. I'm strong. And when I see him going after my kids, I'm putting my foot down and saying, devil, don't you dare touch them. I mean, somebody's got to stand up and take authority and believe with faith and not be a spiritual wimp and not always give in to the insecurities and just say, in Jesus' name. This isn't about me anyway. I, I don't even belong to Jesus because of me. He forgave me. He's the one who laid down his life for me, not the other way around. And I belong to him. I know him. I have the power of his spirit. And I'm going to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Guys, I want to call you to that as I call myself to that in a fresh way to realize we're in a huge battle. But you have the authority of Jesus you have the power of his spirit if you know him. And you can be mighty in the Lord. Can I hear an amen from the ladies? Amen. amen. I'm going to ask you another one and say amen to you. Wouldn't you love the men in this church to be spiritually confident? Amen. We need them to be. And so many of you are, and I praise God for you. I'm just calling you to the next level to do this.